0: Well, there's a brand of soap back in the, uh, it it started in the 50s and really kind of came on the scene though in the 80s and 90s and it was the brand called Zest and I don't know if you recall or remember uh, the slogan that came out there in the 80s and 90s and it was this jingle and I won't sing it, but the, the slogan, the jingle said, you're not fully clean unless you're zestfully clean. And they had a big towel that said zestfully clean on the back of it. And now you're singing that and it's stuck in your head. But it was such a good jingle because even now, some 30 years later, I still remember that and it's ingrained in my mind. And I remember the the color of the soap and the smell of the soap. See, the thing that zest had and and the claim that they had at least was that their soap was different than all of the other soaps on the market because the, the soap that was zest wouldn't leave behind this soapy, filmy residue that apparently was a massive problem with everybody else that none of us knew about until we encountered Zest and Zest fully clean. So Zest was saying, you know what, you're actually going to be clean. You're not going to walk away from your shower feeling like you're not really fully rinsed off. Yeah, those other soaps may be able to get you partially clean, uh, but you know, Zest is going to get you all the way clean. You know, in Jesus' day, this idea of cleanliness was a major issue for him and his disciples as well. Purity, purification, not in the same way. They weren't using zest. They weren't using Old Spice or anything else like that. Uh, But there was this idea that they needed to be ritually clean in, in order to approach the Father, in order to worship in the temple, in order to eat with their families and their friends in order to go about their daily lives, to participate in their feasts, to participate in the the cultural and religious elements of the day. And in our beatitude, the one that we're going to look at together this week, Jesus is going to take this paradigm of purification, of cleanliness, of ceremonial uh, standing uh, before the Father. And he's going to take it and he's going to flip it like he has been doing with so many of these beatitudes. Because what Jesus is gonna do, he's gonna take a concept that was for so long ingrained in the Jewish mind as, as an exterior concept that you could become defiled by coming into contact with something physically or by uh, certain sicknesses and diseases. It was all about the exterior. Jesus is gonna take this concept now and flip it on its head and make it all about what's inside us. That our purity, that our cleanliness, that our acceptability before God has really little to do with our exterior, but everything to do with, as Jesus is gonna tell us, our heart in matthew chapter 15 jesus addresses this idea of the heart being where we stand as clean or unclean before the father and he says this in matthew 15 10 through 20 he says and he called the people to him and said to them hear and understand it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person but what comes out of the mouth this defiles a person Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees, that they were offended when they heard this saying? And Jesus answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to Jesus, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile anyone. So Jesus there is is explaining even further what he's gonna begin to explain to us tonight in our beatitude, and that is that the, the issue of our moral, our clean, our purity, Uh, as far as it relates to to God, the issue of our standing before God in those categories has to do with what's internal, has to do with our our heart and not what's external, not what Jesus would say with the Pharisees, the, the outside of the cup. The Beatitude, it says this, it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed, again, that word happy, fortunate, good, well off, are the pure in heart for they shall see God. See, Jesus is telling us here is that our issue of cleanliness before the father, the heart of the problem is a heart problem and truly make us pure, make us clean, make us acceptable before the father. Again, this idea of being clean, being pure was something that was steeped in Jewish tradition. In fact, it was not just steeped in Jewish Jewish tradition, but also in Jewish law. We can look back at the Old Testament laws and see where there were these standards for being pure, for being clean, for being ceremonially acceptable to the father. In Numbers chapter five, verses two through three, we read this, command all the people of Israel that they put out of the camp, everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean, there's our word, through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. So there you see, if somebody was leprous or had a discharge, they were to be put outside of the camp. They were unclean. They had to be removed from fellowship with God's people. Later in Numbers chapter 19, verses 12 through 13, Numbers 19, 12 through 13 says, he shall cleanse himself with water on the third day and the seventh day and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died and does not cleanse himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from Israel, excommunicated from Israel, put out of the people of God because the water for impurity was not thrown on him. He shall be unclean and his uncleanness is still on him. Finally, Leviticus 5, one through six. Leviticus 5 says, if anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, something that's defiled, if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of an unclean swarming thing, and it is hidden from him and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness, of whatever sort the uncleanness may be, which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him, then he comes to know it and realizes his guilt. Or if anyone utters with his lips, and he goes on to say, look, if you become aware that you have touched something or become unclean, you need to be purified. You need to be cleansed. And what I want you to see here, and what I want to drive home here is, when we look at the Old Testament law, this issue of one's purity before the Lord, This issue of one's ceremonial cleanliness before the the Lord was an issue of fellowship with God. That if you were unclean, you did not have fellowship with the Father. And in fact, it would go so far sometimes that if your uncleanliness was too much, that you would be, as we just read in numbers, cut off from the people of Israel. That you would be excommunicated from the Israelites. That you would be permanently put out of the camp. It's a terrifying thing to think about. And really, honestly, every time, Every time in our DBR, I read through the the law and think about all of these rules and regulations. I am so thankful for Christ. I'm so thankful for Jesus. That he is the one that is after the the heart of the problem, which is a heart problem. That we're not left with all of these laws of washing and this is an unclean carcass and that's an unclean carcass clean carcass and putting out of the camp and everything else that, that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of those things, that Jesus is the answer to those things, that Jesus is the one that has cleansed us once and for all. But again, his audience was steeped in these things. This was their reality. This was their world, the world of cleanliness and uncleanliness, according to the law. Other examples in, in Jesus is teaching where he talks about these things in Matthew chapter eight, verse two. Matthew 8, 2, it says, And behold, a leper came to Jesus and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So here you have a leper coming to Jesus and is just asking to be made clean. And and really, all he wanted to, to have happen to him was not a spiritual cleanliness that he needed, but he wanted to be externally clean. He wanted to be healed from his leprosy so that he could return to society so that he could go back to his family, so that he could go back to the temple, so that he could be back in an acceptable standing according to the Jewish law. So he's asking Jesus, look, if you will, you can make me clean. And oh, did this man not truly understand the, the significance of what he was saying there? Matthew 15, 11, we read it earlier. Jesus says there, it's not what goes into the mouth. In other words, you can't be defiled by food, he says, that defiles a person. But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Why? Because the heart of the problem is a heart problem. Mark 7, 5 says, the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? So I just want you to see that, that even these Old Testament rule, rulings and laws of being ritually, ceremonial, ceremonially clean or unclean, morally clean or unclean, those were being carried over into Jesus's day. The scribes and the Pharisees confront Jesus because his disciples weren't going through the proper purification rites and, and procedures before sitting down to eat. And so the, the scribes and Pharisees are saying, look, they're defiled according to the law. Matthew 23, 25, and we'll come back to this, but this is Jesus saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean, you purify the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. See, again, to Jesus, the law was everything to his audience. It was everything to his audience. And to become defiled during this time, to become unclean during this time, to become impure during this time, was to suffer an interruption, at least an interruption in your fellowship with, with God. You could no longer go into the temple to worship God. You could no longer bring your offerings and your sacrifices to the temple to be offered on your behalf for your sins because you had to be put outside of the camp. You were cut off from that relationship with God. This was the world in which Jesus entered into and Jesus is now taking it a step further even in our beatitude because he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they are the ones that shall see God. And so now Jesus is saying, look, what's at stake here is if if you're not pure in heart, you will never see God. You'll be permanently outside of the camp. And so Jesus is is begging his listeners, his audience to say, man, I want to be pure in heart. What does that even mean? How can I do that? And the answer to that question and the answer to this, this beatitude is Jesus. The way that we can be clean in heart is Jesus. In fact, that's the only way that we can be clean in heart. And if you are in Christ, you are clean. Our first point together this week is this, praise God you are clean in Christ. Praise God you are clean in Christ. You know, so many times in this series, we've talked about the impossibility of, so, of these standards in the Beatitudes, of Luther saying, man, this is the uber law. We, we can't attain to these things. And I think perhaps this is the chief of all that we've encountered so far. To be pure in heart is something that none of us can do of our own ability. In fact, left to ourselves, we stand before the father stripped completely bare before his holy gaze, aware of our sinfulness, aware of our fallenness. I'm always in awe in Exodus chapter 19, verses 12 through 14. This is before the giving of the, 12, of the, the, the 10 commandments. Exodus chapter 19, verses 12 and and following here, you have God preparing the people for the giving of the 10 commandments. And this is what we read. And this is the God before whom you and I must be clean. God says to Moses, you shall set limits, verse 12, for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Why? Because the mountain was gonna be consecrated. The mountain was going to be holy unto the Lord because the the glory of God was going to descend on Mount Sinai. And for the sinfulness of man to encroach upon the glory of God would mean utter and certain and immediate death. God continues in verse 13, no hand shall touch him, the one who dies, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. He's making them clean. He's making them holy. He's purifying the people. And they were washed with their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And he goes on and on. And it's this scene where they're getting ready to approach the the mountain of God. They're getting ready to enter, not into the presence of God, because then they would be dead, but even just into the proximity of the presence of God. And God's holiness is so overwhelming. That Moses is saying, look, you're not even going to come close to touching the proximity or touching the the presence of God's holiness and his glory, but you need to be clean. So he consecrates them. He prepares them. He sets them apart as holy. He makes sure that they are, from a human perspective, purified. But that human perspective that was making them pure was not enough to bring them into the presence of God. They were not allowed to even touch the mountain. Y'all, that's us without Christ. We need Christ to make us clean so that we can be acceptable to the Father. This is not something that we can work up in our own will. This is not something that we can do by ourselves. We need God to cleanse us, God to purify us, and praise God that he's done that for us in Christ. The Pharisees were professionals at trying to be clean enough for God. They were the cream of the crop when it came to being pure from a worldly perspective, not not even from a worldly perspective, from a a religious perspective. They were obedient to the law, experts at keeping the law, had it memorized. They knew exactly how many steps they could take on the Sabbath without it turning into work. They knew how many sticks they could carry on the Sabbath without it turning into work. They were tithing of even their spice cabinets, but even they were not pure enough for the father. Jesus confronts them in Matthew 23. Verses 25 through 28. I mentioned one of these verses previously, but we'll read it again. Matthew 23, 25 through 28. Jesus says to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. But inside, inside, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Then he says in verse 26, You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate. It has to start from the inside out. Clean the inside of the cup of the plate that the outside may then also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also, Pharisees, outwardly you appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, the Pharisees, everybody else thought they nailed it. But like the verse I've referred to numerous times in this series already, Matthew five twenty, just 12 verses after the verse we're reading right now, it says this, it says, look, unless your righteousness, what exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. What well, Jesus is saying here, look, you need to be purer. You need to be more clean than the scribes and the Pharisees. If you ever wish to see God, right? You are only men, you are only as clean as you are clean in Christ. And that's where this whole zest commercial falls short. You're not fully clean unless you're zestfully clean, right? They will admit, okay, if you're going to use Old Spice or you're going to use Dove or you're going to use Irish Spring, you can get partially clean, but you're not fully clean unless you're zestfully clean. Well, Jesus is saying, you know what? You're actually, you're not clean at all unless you're clean internally. What Jesus's message is, is it's not, you're not fully clean unless you're Christ fully clean. No, it's not that at all. It's, you're not clean at all unless you are clean in Christ. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hebrews 9:14. The writer says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That Jesus' sacrifice purifies it purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Or Titus chapter two, verses 13 through 14. Paul writes there that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. That Jesus gave himself, men, to purify us for as a, a, a people for his own possession, to consecrate us, to declare us clean as a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See, men, we are only clean as much as we are clean in Christ. And that cleanliness in Christ comes from our forgiveness of our sins through faith in Jesus. John put it this way in 1 John 1, 1.9. 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Men, are you clean in Christ? Has Christ cleansed you by his blood? Has he washed you with the, the, the pure water of the word? Has he, has he cleansed your sins? Have you confessed your sins? Which means to agree with the father that you are guilty, that you are a sinner. Have you done that, men? And have you asked that God would forgive you in Christ, that he would cleanse your sins in Jesus and that he would make you as white as snow as Isaiah says? Have you done that? Has Christ cleansed you, men? Because if you're relying on anything else, if you're relying on anything else, then it's not that you're partially clean, it's that you're completely unclean. Christ is the only one that we can trust to fully cleanse us, to fully deal with the heart of the problem, which is a heart problem. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, this is one of the hardest types of messages to preach and to be clear on because there's a, a, a danger here to be understood in, in what we're driving at. And I compare it to a road with two ditches on either side. And if the road is the narrow path that we are supposed to walk, and it's the, the path following Jesus, there are two ditches on either side that are off, often dangerous to us as believers, that are always there, that are, that are perilous to us as believers. See, on the one side of this road, you have the ditch of works which says that, that I need to clean myself up. I need to do more to clean the outside of the cup to make the inside even cleaner and more beautiful to the Lord. And what that does is it looks at the cross and says to Jesus, you know what, thanks for getting me almost there, but I'll take it from here to get me all the way there. That's what Paul wrote against so vehemently in Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh, he asks. So that's the one error, the one dangerous to say that I need to do, I need to do, I need to do, I need to do, I need to do more in order to be acceptable, to be truly clean before God. And the answer to that is no, you are clean as you will ever need to be. You are clean in Christ. Christ has made you clean. But then there's this other ditch too, that's just as dangerous for us. And if there's the ditch of works on this side, this is the ditch of of words, and it's the ditch of words because this is the ditch that we can drift into to think, well, if I'm clean in Christ, then what does it matter how I live my life from here on out? If, if Jesus has made me as clean as I will ever need to be, well, then I can just go on and continue to, to live the life I wanna live and sprinkle in a little Jesus when it's convenient. That Jesus doesn't have to be my Lord, he just needs to be my savior. And all that means is I just have to, to say that Jesus is my savior. See, this is the, the danger of our words taking over. And that's all there's there. There's no substance behind our words. So you've got the works and you've got the words, but then what we need to find is this path wherein we are, yes, fully 100% cleansed by Jesus. And what that does is it begins from the inside out to become a, a transformative process in our lives. If someone were to come and ask you, who is responsible for your holiness before God? Is it you or is it God? I wonder what you would say. I hope you would answer yes. Yes, because it's both. We we have a responsibility to live a holy life and God is also the one who is responsible to at the same time sanctify us, to make us pure, to make us clean. We see both in the scriptures. In John 17, 17, Jesus says to the father, praise to the father, requests of the father, says to the father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So there Jesus is asking the Father to sanctify his followers. This is God's work in making us holy. Similarly, in 1 Thessalonians five twenty three, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. There again, it's, it's God who is doing the work, right? God is going to sanctify you completely is Paul's prayer. And so the God is, is the one who's purifying us from the inside out. But then we also see the other side, which is our responsibility, right? In 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Well, how can I make myself useful to the Father, useful to the Lord? By cleansing myself. And so therefore, in in that regard, I have a responsibility to play in this. That yes, God is going to sanctify me completely, but that's going to involve my participation in that that i need to cleanse myself first peter 1:15 says but as he who called you is holy so you also be holy in what all your conduct okay so there i've got a call on my life to live a godly and holy life in all of my conduct that seems to be a, a responsibility that i need to take up that i need to own that i need to bear or james 4:8 james says draw near to god and he will draw near to you Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Here's our phrase right here. Purify your hearts even, you double-minded. So James is even calling on us to be participating in in even that internal purification of our our hearts. And so which is it then? Is it God or is it us? Yes. I think Paul sums it up perfectly in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's our responsibility. But then he says, knowing that, that it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so there's the father working. So there's these two ditches that we need to be careful not to drift into, overemphasizing the works, thinking that what I bring to the table somehow makes me more clean in the eyes of God than I was previously. But then there's also the ditch of work words rather that, that says, well, I don't really need to do anything different. Jesus did it all. He made me clean. So let me just live my life and I'll get to Jesus when he's convenient. Both are wrong. Both are incredibly dangerous. Both are conduits to the broad path that leads to destruction. No, men, we must stay on the narrow path that Jesus has cleansed us internally. And that internal cleansing is now working itself out in our lives to an external cleansing of our lives as well. Our second point this week is this, put your hope in Christ for total transformation. Put your hope in Christ for total transformation. Transformation. You've, I'm sure heard the phrase, you are what you eat, right? I'm right now thinking about the pizza that I just had for dinner tonight and I'm tasting the garlic still in my mouth, right? And so we understand that what we eat impacts us. And we also understand the concept that what we take in, what, what co- goes into our body, it, it impacts us not just on the outside, but also on the inside. That if we're not careful about what we take in, if we're not careful about what we eat, then it's going to negatively impact us, right? But the flip side of that is if we eat well, if we eat healthy, that that's not just going to help us on our exterior, but that's also going to help us internally as well. And so we understand this relationship between what's on the inside impacting the outside and vice versa, well, men, you have been made clean in Christ and that is on the inside, but that's gonna also impact what is on the outside. That's gonna overflow into your life that you live. In John 3, 3, Jesus even introduces this concept of total transformation here. You've got Nicodemus who comes to Jesus and says to him, hey, teacher, what? we, we know that you're a pretty smart guy, that you're from, from, set from God. What's going on here? And Jesus says, what does he say to Nicodemus? He says, truly, truly, I tell you, unless one is, what, born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless somebody is totally made new, totally transformed. This isn't a, a, a renovation, right? A renovation leaves the exterior and the studs in place, and it just goes after the, the guts. No, this is, you are fully being made new. You are going to be a different person, and that is the entirety of your person, not just this internal soul a uh, heart standing before God, no it 's going to also overflow into your life as well, and how you live your life. Romans six six, Paul says similarly. Paul says in Romans six six, he says that our old self, our old man, was crucified with Jesus in order that what? In order that the body of sin might be rendered powerless, might be rendered powerless, so that we might walk in newness of life, he says, no longer enslaved to sin. So there we see that at the moment of conversion, when we are born again, when we are regenerated, that we are set free from sin and that this old man is is put to death, rendered powerless, crucified with Christ in, in order that what? In order that I might be different, that I might no longer be enslaved to sin. So you see the internal now is overflowing into the external. One more place, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you may be even saying it already in your head, but it says this, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Again, it's, it's a total transformation. And that's what we have in Christ. Man, when you are saved, God imparts the Holy Spirit to you at the moment of conversion and the Holy Spirit then through his word and through the ministry of of his working in your life begins a lifelong process of progressively making you more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. It's what we refer to as progressive sanctification. There is not a Christian alive who is not being progressively sanctified it may come in different stages it may come at different degrees and at different speeds for us at different times in life but there is no such thing as a christian who is stagnant when it comes to their sanctification because if you are indwelt by the holy spirit the holy spirit is always going to be working to conform you to the image of christ you can slow that process down you can quench the spirit you can even maybe we could even say have times of regressive sanctification in your life perhaps, but you are always going to have the spirit within you working to make you more and more like Christ. Why? Because the internal cleanliness that you have is going to overflow into the exterior. What does that mean? Well, I want to talk a little bit when we first talk about purity, right? As men, so often we, we run to one category and we run to the category of what? Sexual purity, Right? It's where, we, where our minds go immediately. And what Jesus is talking about here in this, uh, this verse, it's less of the, the sexual concept of purity here, more of the, the religious cleanliness like we've been talking about throughout this whole message. But still, it, it, it applies. If, if you're a man and you're struggling with, with sexual purity, some of the things that we'll do is we'll suggest, well, you know what? You should get some accountability software installed on your computer and on your phones and on your tablets, Right? Covenant Eyes is a great one to use for that, and it is. It's a great one to use, and I would recommend if that's where you're at, talk to your leader, talk to a brother in Christ, and say, hey, will you help me out? Will you be an accountability partner with me on this program, Covenant Eyes? You can install it, and that's great. It's a good resource. The second thing that we turn to, I just mentioned, is an accountability partner, right? We look for a brother, and we say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling in this area of my life. Will you hold me accountable, And that looks different for different guys and different people take that to a different level of seriousness. But if that's gonna be the route that you wanna go on this, find somebody who's gonna get in your kitchen. Find somebody who's not just gonna settle for, hey, how'd you do this week for you to go good and him to be like, okay, great, I'll check in next week. Find somebody who's gonna press and get after you and not settle for the surface issues there. Find that kind of accountability partner. Or maybe another thing that that we do and, and maybe that you do is you say, okay, you know what, I'm struggling in this area of my life. I need a book. I need a book. And so I've had so many people over the course of my ministry career come to me and say, hey, Pastor Peter, what's a good book on on sexual purity? What's a good book on anger? What's a good book on being content? What's a good book on, and we think, man, if I just get the right book, if I just get the right Christian living book, if I just read the right book, if I have the right formula, that's what's gonna transform me. And see, that's the problem. Is covenant eyes good? Yes, I just told you it was. Is an accountability partner good? Yes. If it's done well and it's done biblically, yes. An accountability partner is a great thing to have. Can you benefit from reading other books? For sure you can. But men, don't put your faith there for true transformation. Don't trust in a software. Don't trust in a man. Don't trust in a book that's not the Bible in order to transform your life. Man, if you want to have transformation in your life, that transformation, that cleanliness, that only comes from Jesus. It only comes from Jesus. He's the one who cleanses you, and that cleansing that he gives you at conversion transforms your life, overflows into your life. Jesus can change your desires. Jesus can change your behaviors. Jesus can change your patterns. Man, he is the one to trust. He is the one to look to in that. And you say, well, that, Sounds great but what does that look like? Well it looks like this. It looks like you being in a relationship with Jesus. It looks like you loving Jesus, right? Just like if you're married before you got married, there may be something that you loved. Maybe it's an old ratty t-shirt, maybe it's a food, maybe it's a band, maybe it's a you know, a car that you drove forever and you get married and your wife can't stand whatever the heck that thing was, right? And she's looking at you going, that t-shirt, I want it gone, burn it, throw it in the trash. That band, I don't ever want to listen to them ever again for the rest of my life. They're horrible, right? That car is about to break down. I am not going out and being seen driving around in that car. You need to figure something out on that, right? Whatever it is, and, and all of a sudden, because of your love, your affection for your devotion for your wife, you're willing to part with these things. Even that you used to love so much, you're willing to let go of them because what you have in your wife is better. Man, that's how Jesus frees you from sin. As you're in relationship with Jesus and you understand, man, Jesus doesn't like that lust. Man, you know what? Jesus hates that anger. You know what? Jesus loathes that covetousness, that greed, that discontent. You know what? Jesus died for these things. If your love for Jesus is increasing, your affection for these is gonna be waning. Because the more you love Jesus, the more you're going to want to love the things that he loves and the less you're going to love the things that he hates. See, man, this is how we are transformed and we are cleansed from the inside out. Because our love for Christ overflows into an outward desire to say, okay, Jesus, take it all. This is what it means that Jesus is the Lord of my life that he is the one who rules over my life, that he is the one who governs over my life. So that anything that I once held dear, now if Jesus looks at me and says, you know what, let that go because I, I, I hate that thing where I, that, that, that dishonors me or that pains me, then I'm gonna say, okay, Jesus, I want you more. You are worth more. You are better than that. And so where does true transformation take place? It's not through uh, an accountability software or partner or book. It's through relationship with Jesus, through time in the word, through prayer, through just pursuing Jesus. That's where transformation comes. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. This final point is not overly complicated. It's pretty simple and foundational. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. We've been dealing with this. Those that are internally cleansed, right? And that comes through the gospel, through salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But then he says this, for they shall see God. For they shall see God. Remember, for the Old Testament saint and for even Jesus' original audience, to be unclean was to have your fellowship with God interrupted for however long that period was, for some permanently interrupted. Habakkuk says this, Habakkuk 1.13 Habakkuk 1.13, the prophet says of God, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. You who are of purer eyes, your eyes are too pure to look at evil or to see wrong, right? Man, that's our problem, isn't it? Is that we inherently are sinful, that we inherently are, are evil and we are, are, are wicked and our sins put us at odds with God. We can't be in the presence of God because God cannot tolerate the presence of sin. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need salvation. And that's why, again, that this thing that's at stake here is our fellowship with God. God is too holy to be around evil. In fact, we see this even in Revelation 21. This is the future that awaits us, the new heavens and new earth. And in Revelation 21, eight, after this grandiose vision of God wiping away tears from eyes, and his dwelling place will be with them, and they will be his people, and he will be their God, and this vision that gives us all the warm fuzzies, and we say, yes, we want that, but then John says, but, 21.8, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Why? Because God can't dwell with any of that. Because God can't dwell with any of that. And so anything sinful, anything unclean cannot be in the presence of God. We go to to Revelation 21, 27. So later in the book of Revelation 21, John says this, nothing unclean will ever enter the new Jerusalem. Nothing unclean will ever enter the new Jerusalem, nor will anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Why? Again, because God cannot dwell with that which is unclean. God in his perfect purity, his perfect holiness, cannot be in the presence of unholiness. See, before Christ, our fellowship with God was interrupted by an infinite chasm. And even our righteous deeds were filthy rags before him. We were helpless and hopeless. We needed someone to intervene. We needed someone to close that gap. We needed someone to come and restore fellowship between us and God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's our final point together. It's this, give thanks that Jesus' death has opened the way to fellowship with God. It's a long one, but give thanks that Jesus' death has opened the way to fellowship with God, fellowship with God. Yes, eternally, like we were just talking about in Revelation 21, but even here and now that the, the death of Christ has cleansed you from your sins so that now you can even now presently where you are tonight, enjoy fellowship with God tomorrow. Enjoy fellowship with God. Why? Well, Romans eight fifteen. right? You've been what? You've been adopted now as sons of God by whom you can call out Abba Father, you can have familial fellowship with God, familial intimacy with God. Guess what? That doesn't happen unless you are clean and you are only clean if you are clean in Christ. And so now you stand adopted as sons of God. How else do we enjoy it right now? Well, how about prayer? How about prayer? The fact that you can go before the Father is because you have a mediator who Hebrews chapter seven lives forever to make intercession for you and me, to plead his blood when we sin. And to say they are clean because they are clean in me. And so we can approach boldly, as the writer says in Hebrews chapter four, boldly to the throne of grace, to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. So we can enjoy the fellowship of prayer right now because of the cleanliness that we enjoy in Christ, because of the sacrifice of Christ. And then just more generically, the fact that you and I have been reconciled, which means that we have been taken from far off and we've been brought near to the Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we've been brought near to God. We've been reconciled by what? By Christ and his death for us. So even right now, you and I get to enjoy the fellowship of God. But yes, there's a day that is coming when Jesus' promise here is going to be true of all of us. When we shall what? See God face to face. That's one of the most comforting thoughts for believers who have lost loved ones is that they are now beholding their savior face to face, that they see Jesus. John says this in 1 John chapter three, two through three. 1 John three, two through three. He says, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, When Jesus comes back, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then John says this, and everyone who thus hopes in Christ purifies himself as Christ is pure. Everyone who hopes in Christ purifies himself as Christ and pure. How? Through the gospel, through a right relationship with Jesus through repenting of our sins, confessing our sins, through believing that Jesus died for our sins, and through asking that the Father would cleanse us, would forgive us of our sins because of Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. And then we believe that because the grave was empty three days later, that one day we, as Jesus promises here in Matthew chapter five, that we shall see God. What an amazing promise. See, Zest might look at Old Spice or again, Irish Spring or one of those and go, okay, they do some of the job. They do some of the job, but not all of it. We're better because you know what? When you clean yourself with us, we are Zest fully clean. And again, it's a brilliant marketing strategy. It's showing up in a sermon in the year 2020 when it was written in like 1980, right? I mean, it's, It's good. Like I need him to come write my next sermon title for me to to just be catchy. But it falls short of what we're talking about when we're talking about being clean in Christ. Because again, the heart of the problem is a heart problem. And Jesus wouldn't say, you're not fully clean unless you're Christ fully clean. No, he would say this. He would say, you're not clean at all unless you're clean in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for that reality. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for our standing in Christ, that he is our savior, that he died on the cross in order to cleanse us from our sins so that we would be forgiven, so that we would be counted righteous in your eyes and in your sight, Lord. Help us to walk that path that we were talking about, that straight and narrow path, not drifting to either side of the the works or the words, but just understanding that Christ's work inside in our lives should overflow into a life that is now different and changed as a result. Lord, that that's not something that we white knuckle or, or work up in, in our own attempt to, to be more godly, Lord, but that is something that you produce in us as you will and work in us for your good pleasure. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that. And I pray that you would continue to cleanse us, uh, Lord, as you sanctify us, that you, you should, would continue to make us more like Jesus, I should say. Lord, as you sanctify us, as you make us more like Christ, as you make us more holy, Lord, we know that there's a day coming that is secured for us, that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit as a promise of this future day when we will be like him because we will see him and we will be sinless completely. And Lord, we long for that day. We pray for that day. In the meantime, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to follow Jesus well. In his name we pray, amen.